Hey, thank you so much for joining us online at Venue Church for another inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you were impacted by this message in any way, we would love it if you would share it with your friends online. Yeah, real boats rock. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for joining us online um, to our new series, Frozen. Great decisions and how to make them. <laughs> Great decisions and how to make them. Welcome to Venue Church. Um, I do want to announce that we have a movie night coming up here on Wednesday night on July the 26th at 6.30. And it's like free movie, free popcorn. Bring all your neighbors and bring your friends. I know you say that you love them, but let's see if you love them. Like I love them. All right. Invite them here. We're going to be showing a free movie, uh, a free everyday movie night here, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, we're watching the remake of Beauty and the Beast, and the guys, my production guys are like, but you watch that to make your girls happy watching that, right? And I was like, yes. But you don't like it, right? And I'm like, I know all the songs in Beauty and the Beast. It's actually pretty good. There was kind of this, there was this whole thing going on about how evil the movie was, but then we actually watched a movie with our kids, and I find that, I think that people just like drama sometimes, because I don't know, if your kids find something weird in there, I think they were maybe uh, looking for something weird in there. So anyways, uh, that's Wednesday night. I found a dime on my thing. That's amazing. A tip for good preaching ahead of time. <laughs> That's Wednesday night, July 26th. We're going to be doing that at 6.30 p.m. here. Free popcorn, free pop, free movie. Just bring the community in here, and it's going to be awesome. And a great way for us to be able to meet them. So welcome to Frozen, part one. A sermon I've entitled, Don't Bury It. Don't bury it. That's going to take me most of my sermon to get to what it is. Don't bury it. Frozen. We live in a society and a culture, and we ourselves, what happens is when we make poor decisions, we freeze ourselves in a poor outcome. So you actually lock your destiny up when you make bad decisions and make more bad decisions on top of bad decisions. So this series is all about great decisions and how to make them. You ready? <laughs> now, we all assume that we make good decisions. Like nobody's going to be like, hey, I'm the worst decision maker in the world right here. Um, until we ask your friends or your wife. <laughs> and the funny thing is, here's, here's what I know about you that, that you might say like straight up, like I'm a terrible decision maker. But what I know is that wherever you are, you could probably get better at making decisions. And have you ever heard this? Like that person is so smart. Why do they keep dating guys like that? Or, or they're so good at making money, but why do they spend it on all these ridiculous things? There's something in your life and in my life that we don't make good decisions about. And what happens is, is when we make a poor decision, we actually freeze it. It's like pouring a, a bucket of water on something that's really, really cold. It freezes it, and it freezes you into a destiny, into an outcome, because of just one bad decision, and then another bad decision added on top of another bad decision. And I'm going to show you a, a way to make great decisions. This whole series is about that. I'm just going to intro a, a template to make every decision through that will help you. Are you ready? All right. We're not going to get to that yet. Decision means this, the action or process of deciding something or of resolving a question. The action or process of deciding something or of re resolving a question. So here's where we kind of need to tear the whole decision-making thing apart here. Because it says the action or process. Okay, the action, we understand that when, when you and I make a decision about what kids to put our school in or what to buy for groceries, when we make decisions about who to date and who to hang out with, we run those decisions through some sort of a filter. But we understand the action part of that is a decision is actually an action. Doing nothing is a decision to do nothing. If you could understand that, this would help you because today's whole sermon is about procrastination and you're going to love it. We got any procrastinators here tonight? 
All right, somebody's laughing because I'm talking to them. At least I'm talking to somebody. We understand the action part of a decision-making, but do we understand that it's actually a process? So we understand that decision-making is, is an action, but do we go one step further and say, what process do I make decisions through or in or with? And if somebody asks you straight up, what is your decision-making process? How do you make every decision that you make? Do you run it through a filter? Do you run it through a lens? Most of us wouldn't be able to tell them why, because we're making it up as we go. We've got three parents in the room. We're making it up as we go. We don't know what we're doing. There's no template. I had great parents, and I thought that would make me a great parent. Well, it turns out, like, you're just kind of, like, ad-libbing most of the time. And what I needed, I wish what I had early on, was, was a decision-making process. Because great decisions don't make themselves. Ever. Great decisions do not make themselves. They are made by great decision-makers. So let's work on the decision-making process to become better at making decisions. Great decisions and how to make them. Enemies of great decisions is what I'm going to be talking about in this four-part series called Frozen. And our enemy tonight is procrastination. Procrastination is this delaying something requiring immediate attention. It needs to get looked at now. And you put it off because you're thinking about it. Just wait a little bit. Wait a little bit too long. It requires immediate attention, and we just put it off too long. Do we have any procrastinators in the house? Yeah. In 10 minutes, the rest of your hands might be up a little bit. You're just thinking about it. You're just thinking. <laughs> We're thinking. Delaying something requiring immediate attention. Now, there are times when a decision is better than no decision. Absolutely. Unless you have no decision-making process. Then you make really fast decisions with no process. And then you make more fast decisions based on poor decisions already made with no process. And so I'm not talking about, okay, procrastination, that doesn't mean make every decision super fast because they'll be super wrong most of the time unless you run them through this process. There are times in your life, though, when you have to make a decision rather than no decision because great decisions don't make themselves. And if you let life happen to you or circumstance or whatever happened to you, you'll settle for a mediocre life. Because all sorts of people, you know, God has a wonderful plan for your, for your life, and so do a lot of other people. But if we get, want to get our lives on track with what God wants for us, the best way for us, and thank you for joining us online. We have people watching. We just, uh, we're constantly hearing that people are like, hey, I don't believe in God, but I'm finding the sermons really helpful and like watching them over and over. And we love to hear that. Thank you for joining us online. But listen, we do believe that there's a God who loves you, and that if he loves you, then he knows everything about you because he made you. And if we do what he wants and learn how to make process decision-making the way that he wants us to, that our lives will actually get healthier and get better. And you'll be able to do what you were put on this earth to do, and that is help other people. Every personality procrastinates and tends to make poor decisions in certain areas of our lives. So my personality, I like to win. But what if I'm... I'm between two options where I can't see a win in there. You'll, you'll notice that somebody who likes to win following Christ is hard because we like to win, but sometimes Jesus says, I want your neighbor to win, so I need you to lose so they can win. Forgiveness is kind of losing. I don't get to hang on and be bitter and whatever. I got to release them because I was released from sin, and I have to release somebody so that our relationship could get back together, but it sure feels like losing. 
And as a Christ follower, I find that he's, he's had to put me in a lot of painful situations where I've had to be in like a lose-lose situation and still find a way to honor God and, and help my people in the midst of these things because I can't find a win through it. And that's hard for me. Now, if I'm in a situation where there's only like a losing and losing option, I tend to procrastinate a bit. Some of us don't really like new information. And when we have a new challenge, we need new information to overcome the new challenge, but we don't like new information, and so we procrastinate, and we just hold off, and we hold off too long, and then we miss an opportunity, or we wait until something is an absolute disaster, and then we snatch at it to try to fix it. And others of us, uh, maybe this is you, I'm going to kind of hit something in you, I think, today, but uh, others of us, what, what we have a hard time doing is saying no to people, because we're people pleasers. And we say that we're peacemakers, but the funny thing about peacemakers is that we sacrifice peace tomorrow for peace today. And if you deal with a conflict today, then you can have peace tomorrow and the next day and the next day. But if you put it off, by the time the fight comes in, it's 10 times worse tomorrow than it was today. And so we'll procrastinate if there's conflict, especially people conflict, because we don't want everybody to fight. But sometimes fighting is part of life because there's opposites going on all the time. And you have to walk through conflict in a way that is honoring to the other person. Why? Because if there's conflict, if there's sin in a relationship, you're not together. And so you have to find a way to walk through that. And a person who's a peacemaker will often tend to procrastinate and not have those hard conversations with your teenagers that you know you need to have with them. Have a hard conversation with a friend. You need to have them. How do we make great decisions if we tend to procrastinate and then snatch at them when it's too late to fix? Some of us, um, production, um, might, might procrastinate a bit with analysis paralysis. Production. If you're introverted and want to get involved in a volunteer team, <laughs> production. <laughs> Super smart people. If you secretly think that you're smarter than everybody else, production. Um, they're great, great people, and we love them. But I noticed that they have this personality type that they're really super smart and good at troubleshooting and stuff. But sometimes there's just too much information. Do you ever feel like that? You've gotten all the options in and there's too many of them. It's why I hate Ikea. There's too many things in here. And I finally told somebody, I will buy whatever you make me buy if you'll show me how to get to the exit, because I can't. I keep getting lost. And I may end up in lighting again. I don't want any lights. There's too much stuff. But what we do sometimes, because our society is so full of options with the internet, and you have options for everything now. And you've got like 57 options for everything, and we start to make no decision when a decision needs to be made, because we're so busy with all of our options. There's something in you that wants to procrastinate in something. I, um, I had a guy who was a great number two on a, on a site. And our number twos were good managers. And what we did was we kind of put them in charge of the crew underneath the lead. And they were really good at, at handling people. And they were really good at checking boxes off. So like super organized, just love to, you know, I mean, you know, like you're a box checker if you've already done something and you put it on a list just so you can check something off. I have never done that. That makes no sense to me. But like really good managers, they just like checking stuff off a box, right? And I found that um, I had a really good number two on a site, on quite a big site. And then what we needed to do was see if he could be a number one somewhere. And so we put him on kind of a smaller site that was all his own with his own crew to see what he would do. 
And I came into this. This is very interesting here. I came in and I found that he was, I took one look around and I'm sa- I said, I notice that you're not handling this particular aspect of this. And I said, is it because you've never done one before? And he said, yeah. And what he was doing was he was waiting until, I don't know what he was waiting for. He just left it alone. And so he was, he was starting, which is good to start, but he was starting and getting so far ahead of himself because this one little thing here, he needed new information and he didn't know how to do it. And, and it was hard for him because he was a little bit too embarrassed to ask somebody who knew how to do that. And I said to him, what's going to happen is you're going to, because you're procrastinating, this is what will happen in your life, is that you're going to start doing everything backwards because you didn't take the hard conversation on first and figure that out. Now, it's good to start your crew on something, but you need to figure that out now. And a five-minute phone call could solve this problem for you. A five-minute phone call. Might be your 10th five-minute phone call, but you'll find somebody who knows how to do that. And he was a little bit afraid to do that because of his image with us, I guess, because he didn't know what to do and he didn't know who to call. And I found that For him to make that swing into being a good number one, he was going to have to be able to make that call first so he wouldn't do everything upside down because what ended up happening is when he found out the information about this other piece, he had to go back and tear out a bunch of stuff that he had done. Now that's somebody else's life. Have you ever done that? Have you ever taken a parenting course when your kids are teenagers and gone, I really wish that I'd have had this when they were five. Or you've had a failed relationship and you think, wow, with the next one, there's so much better input that I could have gotten. So maybe the first one would have been better, but I really want the second one to be better. And you start getting into different things and you find out that the information was there. You just didn't know where to look for it or you were too proud to look or you're worried about your image or. And then what happens is later on, after the ideal, After the destiny, we try to go back and we try to snatch at it because we procrastinated on things that we didn't even know about sometimes, but we procrastinated when it was time to make a better decision. You with me? And we've all done this in some area of our lives, and we might have 90% of our lives all figured out, but that 10% is killing somebody. And your husband is like, why won't you get some help in this one little area of your life? It would just create so much peace in the home. And you're thinking about your kids, why won't you get this help in this one area of your life? And quit procrastinating, putting off what you need to do today. And a procrastinator, what they end up doing is they end up choosing only between two bad options. If you leave it too long, your only options will be bad options. Because you're looking for a zero-risk decision. And unless you're seven, you don't get those anymore. And when people are depending on you, the higher you rise in responsibility in your company or your family or anything, the more people depend on you, the less sure you will be of zero-risk decisions because everything that you do and everything you decide affects other people. But you'll end up picking, if you leave it for too long, between bad options, and you will try to let great decisions make themselves for you, and they never will. Only great decision-makers great make great decisions. They never happen by themselves. Now, um... I was walking around the house this week, and I'm like, oh, Aaron, I need like a story to talk about procrastination. But the truth is, I don't really procrastinate all that much stuff, unless I'm between two like non-winning situations. But most of the time, I had a dad who was like, what are you doing? You need to start doing this and get doing this now. And so he was always on me, and it was really good discipline to learn. But with, I'm going to talk about the discipline process of how to make great decisions in a second here. So I was, um, I was talking with Pastor Aaron, and I'm just like, do you have any stories for me about procrastination? She's like, 
How many you want? <laughs> She's like chasing the, uh, the, the recycling truck down the street in my house scope because I just, you know, thought about it 50 times but never got out there. And I thought, that's a good story. Can I use that one? Sure. And so... <laughs> She's, she told me something that, that maybe has happened to you in a, in a different way, maybe. Um, she said that when she was in grade uh, six or seven, there was a youth convention that was coming on, and a bunch of the church kids were going to go to this youth convention. But what happened was she had a science project due right around the same time, and she procrastinated and procrastinated and procrastinated until it was too late to get the assignment done and youth, and because she was a nerd, she had to get the science project done. <laughs> like, that would have not been a crisis for me at all. It would have just been like science. <laughs> I'm baptized. I don't, I don't need to believe in science. <laughs> Nacho Libre, thank you. But what happened was she, she ended up choosing science, or maybe her mom did, I don't know. <laughs> you like that? Somebody's still laughing about that. What happened was, though, she, she, she had to choose, and she chose science, and so she missed that convention for youth. And then what happened was next year, she ended up missing it again. Because... I don't know why. Did you have another science? Do you have another science project? Never she never did get to youth conference. Why? Because now somebody's gone ahead and had an experience without you, and to go into like break into that group that you could have. Maybe that's just it. And then the next year, and it's harder to do, and harder to do, and harder to do. But what happens when we procrastinate and put off making decisions is that we'll miss the opportunity to do what we should have done. And then the next time that same sort of opportunity comes up, it's already built into a mountain in our minds. And it will become much harder to do until we end up missing on that whole thing because of a science project. And I don't get it. But we do that all the time. Here's a, um, a decision-making process that I want to leave with you today. If you're taking notes, take this down. In fact, everybody should probably take this down, I think. Let me give you a surefire, way, a surefire way to start making better decisions. Are you ready? I've got three things here that I'm going to talk to, and then I'm going to go back to talking about procrastination. Here's how to make great decisions. You ready? Number one, ask yourself this question. What is my priority here? If you have no decision-making process, you're going to make bad decisions, and then you're going to start snatching at stuff. So if you have a conflict, if you have an option or an opportunity or something that's come up, the first question you need to ask is, what is my priority here? What is the one thing I need to say yes to? I get one yes here. What is it? Who is it to? What's it for? I have one priority here. What is it? Number two is this, can I please everybody? People please You're going to love this one. It's a trick answer. I ask myself this every time I make decisions. When I make great decisions, this is how I make them. When I don't, this is what I'm not doing. The first one is, what is my priority? And the second one is this, can I please everybody with whatever decision I have to make? The more responsible you are, the more you'll realize that the answer is always no. No. Right there, I've freed myself from having to please everybody because I can't do it. It's impossible. Because if I make this person happy, I'm going to make this person angry. And when you're in a position of responsibility, if you have no responsibility, you don't know that, the feeling. But I know the feeling, and I can't make everybody happy. So I have to decide, what's my priority? Can I make everybody happy? When I say no to that, I realize I only get to choose when I make somebody unhappy. But if I try to make everybody unhappy, or if I try to make everybody happy, I'm going to end up making everybody unhappy because I'm not going to be a decisive decision, ma decision maker. And I'm going to let decisions start making themselves, and that's poor leadership. And that's just not doing stuff right. 
The third thing is this. I ask myself this question. You should ask yourself this question. What would a great fill-in-the-blank do? What would a great version of me do? What would a great supervisor do? Like a great one. Not a good one. Not a mediocre one. Not one that everybody likes all the time. No. What would a great mom do? What would a great friend do right now? I know I got to talk to them about this thing, but I don't want to talk to them about this thing. What would a great friend do? What would a great Christ follower do in this situation right now? What would a great leader do? What would a great pastor do? What would a great dad do? What would a great son do? What would a great employee do? What would a great boss do right now? And this peels back all the layers of mediocrity and takes that off the plate for me. Because I don't want mediocrity. I want to do something great, and I want to be great, and I want to provide great outcomes for my people. And the only way to do that is to ask myself these three things. Is this good? I'm just going to touch on this and whet your appetite. Then I'll get back into this as the series moves on. But number one, what is my priority? I've got one yes. If I've only got one yes, what, who, is, who gets it? What gets it? Number two, can I please everybody? No. Huh. Number three, what would a great version of myself do? You're thinking about business opportunities right now? Somebody is. What would a great you do? It wouldn't be timid. It wouldn't let the decision make itself. It wouldn't wait. It wouldn't let your employees make the decision. It would go out there and it would find whatever it needed to find to make whatever decision that you need to make. It's good. But we wait and then we end up snatching at decisions. Now, on the other hand, here's what a procrastinator does. Number one, are you ready? <laughs> write this down. And if you're not taking notes, write this down. A procrastinator, when we tend to procrastinate, when you pretend, uh, tend to procrastinate in an area of your life, what you tend to do is you tend to wait for something that's not coming. You're waiting for the perfect piece of information that takes all the risk out of the equation, and it doesn't exist. So what we would try to do on sites is I would say, get your guys to a place where they can make, when they're about 70% sure of a, of a good decision, make a decision and start moving. If you need to tweak it, tweak it. But listen, it's, it's hard to start a car that's dead stopped. And sometimes just turning a car that's already moving is the best thing. Now make sure that you gather as much information as you can, but you'll never get that last 10% of information ever. And by the time you get the last 30% of information, which you might not get most of anyways, It'll be too late for the opportunity because they don't wait forever. So procrastinators share this in common. We tend to wait for something that's never coming. When you realize that, it really frees you. Like, I have to make a decision sometime, and that piece of information might never come. Make a decision. Start moving. Number two, procrastination plays catch-up. Is it okay to teach a bit today? Procrastination plays catch up. Because you've already made a bad decision, and, and now you're starting to add another bad decision on top of the other bad decision, and then another one comes along, and you start saying yes to people that you shouldn't be saying yes to, and no to people that you shouldn't be saying no to, and then you start playing catch up, and some people have never caught up. And the sense of panic that follows procrastinators around is something that I don't want to live with, because it's terrifying. 
You just wait and wait and wait, and then you start snatching at bad decisions. But you've already made bad decisions on top of the bad decisions, and then you're sort of like already invested into bad decisions or something that didn't work out. You become more and more invested in them, and so then it becomes harder and harder to let something go that maybe you should never have started in the first place. I'm not talking about your marriage. Don't take that out. No, but you know what I'm saying, though? Like, you get so heavily invested into a bad business idea that it comes, becomes really hard to pull the pin because of all the effort that you have into it. We, we play catch-up. Then you end up doing everything upside down and backwards. Number three, <laughs> this is my favorite one. When we, procrastination gives you lazy brain. Gives you lazy brain, man. You, just get, you could make a decision to save your life. I have about one afternoon. I have a one afternoon where I can't make a decision a year. And if Aaron happens to be in a procrastinating mood and can't make a decision, like, it's a terrible afternoon. Because, like, oh, what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? What do you want? It's like an afternoon a year, so it's not really bad from my point of view. But it gives you lazy brain. You have to be able to turn a switch on and make a decision. Have you ever thought of it like that? Okay, I'm going to wear my decision-making hat. Now i got to make a decision. Uh, a famous movie actor was... Um, playing the role of a general or some sort of army uh, person in, in a movie. And his wife called him and said, you need to come down here and look at this property because it just came on and we've got like an hour to make a decision about it. And you need to see this property. And he's like, well, I'd have to come all dressed up. And what happened was he came all dressed up onto this property. But because he was playing a general and his whole background to the movie was being a very decisive person, he walked under the property, looked, took one look around and said, buy it, and went back and made the movie. Now, most of y'all shouldn't do that, but what I'm saying is, if you can run a filter quickly, and this is your filter, if you can run that filter through quickly and decide priorities, can't make everybody happy, and what would a great somebody like me do? If you can run that through quickly, it enables you to make much quicker decisions. Do you know how long and how much energy it takes to procrastinate? you're still going to have to do it. You're still going to have to pull the pin on that employee. What are you waiting for? You're going to have to have that talk with your teenage son. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Don't get lazy brain. Another guy that I trained up, and we started putting him on jobs, what, what he did, and I said as a compliment to, uh, about him one time to somebody else, I said, He's so good at making decisions, even though he doesn't have the experience yet, that he'll make a decision and start moving something forward. He'll make a decision and fix it and be 90% of the way done the whole project before this other guy starts because he's waiting on something that's not coming. He'll start and he'll start moving forward and he'll handle all the awkward stuff first and he'll keep moving and keep moving it. Why? Because he didn't have lazy brain. He could turn a switch on. I loved how decisive he was. And did you know that you have to make a decision anyways? If you wait until you panic, you know that your default is going to be to make a terrible decision. Like we know it about ourselves. What do we do? We have to apply this filter early on and it will prioritize and it will kind of, it will, it will unmuddy the water for you so that you find your way through it much, much earlier. What's my priority? Can I make everybody happy? What's the third one? I'm thinking about the procrastination ones. Oh, what would a great me do? <laughs> Thanks. That was amazing. Because great decisions don't make themselves. I'm going to get into our text here. And as we get into the text that Jesus is speaking about, 
and my sermon entitled Don't Bury It, which will make sense in just a minute, I think that there's something that I want to say to you specifically is that you have a gift on this earth. And it's for somebody. And I think that it came from God. And I think that you do it best. And what we tend to do is we tend to look around at everybody else who has gifts or everybody else standing in some spotlight somewhere. But, but God gave you something that was special. And the best gift is the one that's needed in a moment of time. And you might know somebody who's great at crisis, but you're great at something else. And the best gift is whatever gift is needed in a person's life. And I want to challenge you today. What is your gift? And are you using it for yourself? Because gifts are meant to give away. Jesus says in Matthew 25 and verse 14, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods or his wealth to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. Um, let me talk about the towns in a second, but this was kind of the best way because there was no internet and there was no phones. And so if he had to go away to travel for business or family or whatever, he would leave his servants in charge. That was the only way that you could do it is trust people completely with your wealth. And so in the ancient world, that's what they did. They had good servants or they had bad servants. Their companies, their business would rise and fall based on who they left in charge of things. And so they leave these three values uh, with three different people. And the values that they're talking about here, it's, it's a unit of money. A talent is a unit of money because it doesn't seem like much when you read it. It's a unit of money that uh, a denarii was one day's wages. And a talent was considered to be 6,000 denarii. 20 years of somebody's life. To the guy who got the least. 100 years of somebody's life to the guy who got the most. And I've been thinking about this because we can read that and think, wow, that's a lot of wealth. And, and Jesus is trying to get a point across here. But here's another point that I think Jesus would want to get across here. How much is somebody's eternity worth? A hundred years of somebody's life? Far more than that. One person, your neighbor, somebody that only you have contact with, somebody on your Facebook somebody who only you can get to with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I think in this, we have to understand that your gift is not for you. It is to get the gospel to somebody else, and you have been given a great gift. It just doesn't feel like much because somebody else has one that seems to be greater than your gift. But there's something special in you that could impact somebody for all of eternity. You have a gift. And it says, to each their own ability, according to their own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Clark says that the talent which each man has suits his own state best. I like that it's called talent in that sense. And it is only pride, he goes on to say, and insanity which leads him to desire and envy the graces and talents of another. Five talents would be too much for some men. One talent would be too little. He's like, don't envy somebody else's talent because with the talent comes pressure. With the gift comes pressure and responsibility. So don't envy somebody else's. They look at you in envying what you have. And they wish that you, they were you. Then he who had received the five talents, Jesus says, went and traded with them and made another five talents. Now he traded with them. This means he labored. He worked them. He made them work for him. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. This means he won two more. He went out in competition and he won. Like, he moved the ball up the field, and he got tackled a few times, but he came out on top. I love that. He worked it. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. 
He hid whose money? His Lord's money, not his own money. And we look at the things that we possess, even down to our giftings and our talents, and we tend to think that they belong to me. That's going to trip you up, because I think that they belong to your people. And Jesus says, you'll never, you'll never find your life unless you lose it. So everything in the kingdom of heaven is upside down in some regards, and left is right and right is left. And in this here, he went and hid not his own talent, not his own gifting, but his Lord's gifting. And God has something in you that you need to be using for people because it's his. And he's going to ask you what you did with it someday. Now, he went and hid it in the ground. I don't know if he's like sulking because he didn't get the five talents. But it's interesting to note that his action is extremely negative. And the other guy's action was positive. So one assumed no risk today until his master comes home. And the others assumed all the risk today. And they worked as if it wasn't their money and their master expected a return on it. And, but this guy let fear stop him. When nothing should stop you from investing your time and your talent in other people. And too often in action is just self preservation. And somehow in society today, particularly the Canadian society, we think that that sounds noble. Looking out for me. Your wife wishes you didn't, like you're doing. Self-preservation. We get afraid. We start acting negatively because we're interested in preserving ourselves. He can go and bury it in the ground and watch TV for the these other guys can't. They've invested. They've got to run to keep up with it now. And as they run, I, I think that their capacity, see, God always treats you like the best version of you. He sees something in you that you don't see, and he believes in you. So he'll put you in hard situations because he believes in the best version of you. And he believed in the best version according to their own ability, according to their capability. He gave them. So this guy had the capability to start. But the capability that you need when you start marriage, as you go along, you're going to need a lot more capability and a lot more. Come on. You're going to need a lot more by the time you hit the finish line. And when you start raising children, you're going to need a lot more by the time they get to be teenagers. And you're going to need a different you by the time that they start having kids. And as they started to go along, I think that their capacity had to increase. So you have something that you're born with, but then you have this other thing that you can increase. And the only way to increase, uh, to increase it is with responsibility and pressure. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and set all accounts with them. After a long time. This is so interesting to me because I, I think that the longer time gets, the less we think that there will be an accounting. But there is always an accounting. So he who had received five talents, Jesus says, came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents, and they had babies, and I got five more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, nobody liked that? I thought that was quite clever. I just came up with that. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. He hears what you and I want to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. That was a few things? You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And I know that that's what you want with your life. Enter into the joy. You want Jesus to look at you at the end and say, well done. I don't want to hear like, 
uh, you were okay. Nothing in me wants to hear that. You were, you know, you do, you know, you were enough. I don't want to be enough, man. I want to accomplish something for my God. He who had received two talents came and said, why don't I get five talents? No. He said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents beside them. It was hard, but I did it. And the Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Spurgeon says, it is not well done, thou good and brilliant servant. Listen, listen. For perhaps the man never shone at all in the eyes of those who appreciate glare and glitter. It is not well done, thou great and distinguished servant, for it is possible that he was never known beyond his native village. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And faithfulness over the long haul. This is what we tend to do. We, we overestimate what can be done in the short term, and we underestimate what could be done in the long term if we are faithful to our principles and if our principles are found in God. This is long investment. They got up every day early and they stayed up late and they worked what they were given faithfully, faithfully. They didn't take the days off that the guy with the talent buried in the ground took. They didn't allow themselves to do that. They worked faithfully. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, okay, the other guys had short sentences because they told the truth. The truth is very short most of the time. When you ask your kids and they're like, okay, who did this? I'm like, first of all, I know I'm going to be here a long time because we've got to find the truth and it's going to be super short. <laughs> Lord, you ready? Watch what happens. Watch what a procrastinator does. You think procrastinators like peace? Watch. Watch us. Watch us. I knew you to be a hard man. Now, this parallel in here is a parallel of God the Father. You're going to talk to God the Father like that? The high king of heaven. I knew you to be a hard man. Oh, peacemakers. Listen, though. I just procrastinated a little bit. And then it started to be a little more and a little more. And finally, I just buried it in the backyard and took the easiest way. Watch what kind of attitude he comes out with. I knew you to be a hard man, which means rough and stern and harsh. This is what he's saying of his own master. Reaping where you have not sown. Who is supposed to be giving an account here? The master? You, hard man. Reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid of you. That's what he's saying. And went and hid your talent in the ground. Look there, you have what is yours. And here's something that I need to push just a little bit. If you tend to procrastinate, your attitude will eventually get out there where you're blaming everybody but the real problem and the common denominator in all of your problems, which is you, sweetheart. And we start to build these stories in our mind to justify how it is that we are when we just simply have not made good decisions and have been unwilling to tear them down and to make better decisions and great decisions. And what we do is we start feeling ripped off because the other person expected something of us in the first place. And he's been living by the good graces of his master. 
And his attitude after all of this time could have been years is to come back and start pointing the finger at the master and saying, you, you were hard. This is all your fault. You reap where you haven't sown. What are you doing? You trust people who don't do anything like me. Man, it gets all weird and twisted up in your head when you start playing the blame game and you're not in there. You create a construct of somebody and have all these arguments and they're not really there because it's all in your head. But somehow this seems reasonable for him to do because of the time distance and because of his own poor actions. And you need to know that if you're a procrastinator and you make bad decisions and bad decisions, the first thing you're going to have to do is start tearing it down and accepting responsibility and saying, this whole thing is on me. I can't change other people anyways, but I can only change myself. And look how I make decisions now, and look what I've done. If you won't look at yourself now, you'll never get past procrastinating. Is this humility? No. He's proud. He's angry. He's playing the game that every lazy person has to play. Spurgeon, yet albeit this man was doing nothing for his master, he did not think himself an unprofitable servant. He exhibited no self-deprecation, no humbling, no contrition. He was as bold as brass and said unblushingly, there, you have what's yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant. You, this is what it translates to, irritating and annoying. You sluggish and backward servant. You just spent five years doing everything upside down and backwards to avoid the only thing that mattered? All that irritates me. That's what he's saying. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. You knew that about me. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. This is saying, look, the least you could have done was to deposit it with somebody who was working. Now listen, if you're not enterprising or if you're not that kind of a risk taker, the least you can do is take your gift and deposit it with somebody who will do it for you and with you. Are, are you hearing me? Risk taker, somebody who wants to do something good in the world. Join up with somebody else. If you're a slow decision maker and you tend to procrastinate, you tend to be afraid, join up with somebody and invest with what they're investing in. He's saying that's the least that you could do in this situation. But you waited and the least you could do started to feel like too much. Therefore, he says, take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, it's interesting that he gets to keep these 10 talents, maybe to invest in the future. And he takes the one talent that he dug out of the ground and he gave it to this other guy. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What a depressing scripture to end on. But let me just back up to one word here. Then I want to ask you about your gift. It said, you wicked and lazy servant. You were only ever supposed to be a servant. Yeah, man, you got married and you have kids, but you're not supposed to be the Lord of that home. The Lord is supposed to be the Lord of that home. You're there to serve. You're there to lay your life down for them. You lazy servant, you are only supposed to serve. Life is so unnerving for a servant who's not serving. 
I do know every song in Beauty and the Beast. And I want to ask you today, has anybody ever paid you a compliment and said, you're really good at this? There's a gift. But it will start to unnerve you over time if you started using the gift only for yourself because you are here to serve others. And I want to ask you today, what is your gift? If, if, if there was one thing that you maybe think that you do, no, no, quit, get everybody else's talent and everybody else's gift out of your head right now. They're them, they're going to ha have to answer for them. Yeah, you wanted that type of a gift, but you've got your type of a gift, and the only reason you're not happy with it is because you haven't developed it yet. Because you've been spending your whole time wishing you were them. And they've been spending their time wishing that they were you. And what an incredible waste of time that is. But maybe you're somebody that just feels pe people, people's hearts. How much time a, a week do you give to praying for them and helping them and calling them up and saying, how are you doing? I've been praying for you. I know things are hard right now, but I believe that we're going to get through this. Listen, listen. I know people who are great, great salesmen and great saleswomen. Have you ever considered selling your church to somebody? I got some great salesmen here. You need to come to my church. You're going to love my church. I've never been to church. Oh, you'll especially love my church. You need to figure out a way to sell your relationship with Jesus Christ to somebody because, look, you've got all of this talent and all of this opportunity, and you're the only one that's going to be able to reach that person. And you need to wrap this up in a way that you sell everything else that you sell because why do you sell? Because you believe that people need it, and it would help them. What about this? Wrap up the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can be forgiven from your sins from now till eternity and spend eternity with God the Father. Wrap that up and sell it. Just don't wrap it like your grandfather wrapped it because nobody likes that kind of wrapping paper anymore. We don't listen to the same music, but it's still the best gift that there ever was. And it still touches the deepest core and the deepest need in every human heart. Sell it. Practice it like you practice a sales pitch. I do. Hey, do you go to church anywhere? No, I haven't really gone to church in years. Oh, you should come to venue. You would love venue. Uh, yeah, I'm not really sure uh, if I believe in God. Well, just watch it online and see what you think. I don't, I don't care if I hear 100 no's. I just need the one yes for a life to be changed forever. And lives are being changed forever because people have learned how to wrap the gospel in a way that makes sense to people. The need is still the same as when Jesus hung on the cross and said, it is finished. Father, I forgive them. Intercession, compassion. Maybe you're like strong, but you're not best at communicating to people. So go to your buddy's house and pick him up and physically drag him to church and let me talk to him. There's something that you have to give. If you're into motorbikes, talk to motorbike people and talk to them in a way that makes sense to them. Like about engines and stuff that I don't understand in any way. I got stuck in the middle of a sermon one time and I'm just like, you know, and uh, engines and or they're doing stuff and it was pretty bad. And our security team let me know about them. <laughs> I want to say something here. You think that what you have isn't as good as what somebody else has. But I don't know that I would preach today if I didn't hear regularly from my oldest daughters. Dad, that was a great sermon that you preached. I especially liked the part that you said about 
you have something to give to somebody else. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we come. Come on, worship team. Heavenly Father, we, I ask for every person right now that, that has been told at some stage of their lives, you know, you're really good at this thing. Or you really helped me in this situation. And it was a surprise for us because we don't think of ourselves like that as somebody who could actually help somebody else. But then what we did for some of us is we went and we just buried it because it wasn't the gift that somebody else had. But we don't realize that with a gift comes a lot of responsibility as well. And Heavenly Father, what I'm, what I'm asking for, for every person here, is that if we've buried a gift, that, that would you help us to go out into the yard and unbury it and dig it up and let the light of day come on that thing again and let us start exploring with that and, and having the, the, the ability to risk in every situation. We have this gift, but then what we need to do is we need to run through, what is my priority with this gift? Was it only to make me money? Was it only to do this? Was it only so that people would look at me and think, wow, they're amazing? No, no, no. We were supposed to be servants who are serving. And Father, I pray for every single person here that you would just shift something inside of our hearts today where we would open up the gift that you gave us, appreciate you for it, and then start blessing the people around us with it. And if it's compassion, then we need to start texting and calling people. We need to start praying for people. Like, spend a half an hour a day praying for somebody. If that's your gift, you can unlock something in them, and the Holy Spirit can get to them in a way that he can only get to them if you do it. I'm preaching in the middle of a prayer. But Heavenly Father, I ask for every person that you would unlock their destiny. And if we have frozen ourselves in poor decision-making because... We didn't have a process. You've given us a process to start making great decisions. I pray for every heart that you would be our priority, first and foremost, and people second. Amen. Hey, we hope you enjoyed this inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you'd like to partner with us, please go to venuechurch.ca give. Yeah, because a life saved is worth everything.